Hi, I'm Eric Humphrey, and this is Creatives Talk. This podcast was birthed from a simple idea of giving back to the creative community. Every week I have the opportunity to speak with some of the most creative, driven, and inspiring individuals I've had the chance to meet. I hope their stories inspire you to live a more creative life. This week, for my first episode of Creatives Talk, I speak with Callie Cabadisi. I could not think of a better person to kick this podcast off with. Callie is one of the first people in the advertising industry I had the opportunity to meet when I decided to make the shift and pursue photography as a career. At the time, she was working as an associate art producer at BBDO. Since that time, she has gone on to become a senior art producer at Digitize Health, founded Yeah No, a creative happy hour in the city of brotherly love that combines booze, creatives, and networking, become an adjunct professor at Drexel University, and started our own consultant agency for photographers. I've known Callie for over six years, and I attribute a lot of my success to the advice and brutal honesty she has given me. In this episode, we will talk about overcoming challenges, the importance of mentors, building and valuing strong relationships, learning from a $14,000 mistake, and the need for photographers to be a triple threat to win jobs. I hope you enjoy. So Callie, can you tell us a little bit about how this all started? Like, were you always into the arts when you were young? Um, did you go to school for this? Just give us a brief background. Um, when I was in high school, I took a photography course and I really, really loved it, but I didn't know that that was a way that you could make a career. It wasn't something that my school really pushed. And then when I went away to college, I decided I wanted to be a lawyer. So started out school <clears throat> with my bachelor's degree um, to with the intentions to become a lawyer. And after my first year at uh, away at school, I decided that that was a very heavy field. And I set, started to second guess myself, took my mom to a show to see Conan O'Brien in New York. And uh, at the time I didn't realize who it was, but it was the executive producer of the show. And she was running around with her headset on and just kind of, you know, making sure everything was getting off without a hitch and um, making everything happen. And I was so impressed with that. And I thought, well, I want to do something like that. And so I talked to my mom about it and my mom had a background in public relations and she was like, oh, I think you would love PR. So I, switched majors after speaking with the head of the communications department at my school and they were like oh yeah you should you'd be great in organizational communication which means absolutely nothing <laughs> is that um, still a major it's still a major <laughs> and i think it's more geared towards people who want to do pr or go into hr um so that was obviously not the right fit for me but i didn't know that at the time and got an internship at a pr and event planning company and it was a really great opportunity to learn that i hated pr really liked event planning um, and then and the following year my dad got really sick I had to drop out of school for a semester to help take care of him and when I went back to school my workload was so heavy I was taking 19 credits both semesters um, and it was my senior year so it was all like the you know 400 level courses it was a lot of work my parents said to me you know you've you can't wait tables and work with you know or wait tables and and take 19 credits both semesters that's too much on your plate so get a job where you can do your homework 
So I ended up getting answering an ad in the school newspaper for babysitting. And the woman that I babysat for was a woman by the name of Kari Newhan, who ran the art buying department at BBDO New York. And I had no idea how lucky I was at that time. So I started babysitting for her. And after we developed a rapport, I mentioned to her that I was looking for an internship for the spring semester. Um, and did she know any event planning companies in, in Manhattan? And she said, oh, well, why don't you just come intern for me? And I, of course, I had taken advertising courses, loved advertising, knew who BBDO was, but I didn't ever know anything about art production. That was never on my radar. So when I got the internship, um, I was super scared. I think I cried the night before I started my <laughs> internship, the whole, the whole drive home from my parents' house. And I got the internship and I just, I soaked it all up. I loved every little bit of it and tried to meet as many people as I could, learn as much as I could. Um, and then kind of when, when my internship was up, I refused to leave, but they didn't have a role for me. So I did have to leave after that, but I came full circle. I got brought back a few months later. So when you left the internship, you had graduated from college. Yep. And so what did you do after that? If you didn't go straight to BBDO. So back then, it was when you graduated college, you only had a couple of months and then you were kicked off your parents' health insurance. Um, so I was freaking out, like, oh my gosh, I need health insurance. So I ended up getting a job. You were 21? I was, I was in that case. Um, <laughs> not much has changed since then. So I was afraid, like, you know, I need health insurance. And I ended up getting a job doing ad sales in downtown Manhattan. Um, and I hated it so much it was like cold calling for ad space and so what made you get a job in ad sales and not something in like event planning well i i knew what i wanted to do after my internship i was like this is where i want to be so i was trying to get a job with getty or corbis or other ad agencies or just anything that was still in the field i didn't want to go outside the field because i felt like even if it wasn't the right job for me, it wasn't the exact fit. It wasn't being in art production. At least I was in the field. I was still networking. I was still around the people that I wanted to be around. Um, so the job offer that I got was in advertising sales. So it was still somewhat in that world. Got it. Um, but it was just, it was so boring, so corporate. It was terrible three months. So after that three months, what happened? How did you? My old boss, Kari, called me and said we promoted the coordinator and so now the coordinator positions open in the art production department do you want to come in and interview and so I was like hell yeah I want to interview um, and you know being 22 23 years old and never interviewing at an advertising agency before I wore a suit and I got laughed at <laughs> um, so don't wear a suit to your interview for so, advertising what's the appropriate attire um, you know, if you're going in a creative role for an ad agency, I feel like, you know, for a woman, black jeans or black pants and boots and a nice blouse. I don't know, whatever you feel comfortable in, but dress, it's not a corporate environment. environment. So, you know. So you have the freedom to express yourself. Exactly. So I, uh, I interviewed and I got the job and then I just kind of worked my way up the ladder while I was there for five and a half years. So as an intern, back, going back to the internship, what were like some of the biggest things you learned there and like that helped you when you finally got the full-time job? Um, I think I learned how fast-paced it was. I learned that you, you kind of either needed to get with it or get out, which was very intimidating at 21 years old. Um, I also learned that the importance of a mentorship because it's easy to get lost. BBDO New York is huge. 
Um, and there's so many brilliant creative people there. Um, at the time, David Lubars was leading creative, which I think he still is. And, you know, he has the motto, the work, the work, the work, the creative, the creative, the creative. And so it really was that that was ingrained in everybody. But in the everyday shuffle and not knowing, you know, you're young, you don't know, can I ask these questions? Can I, you know, is this appropriate? Should I do it this way? Or just looking for some guidance. Um, I didn't have that right off the bat. And I was lucky enough to get that with a few of the women in the department that really took me under their wing. Dina Fayette was one of them. And Erin Breen has been such a um, important role in not only in my career, but just in my personal life. So I think that that's really, really important is to identify people that you admire and that you feel comfortable with. That you can go in their office and shut the door and say, I just need to ask you this. Give it to me straight, you know, or ask them for constructive criticism because a lot of companies don't give you that 360 review. So, you know, go to somebody that you trust and say, how should I have handled this? Or what would you recommend? Or what would you have done? And pick their brain. I was very lucky to have that. So how did you determine the people that you were going to have as your mentor? Did that just happen organically? It kind of happened organically. Um, I don't you know if anybody's listening and they know Dina. She has the best laugh that I've ever heard in my life. So it's hard not to love her. Um, and she is just no bullshit. And I, I loved that. I loved that she was straightforward and honest and transparent. And so I wanted to emulate that. And then with Erin... I've never heard someone say a bad thing about her. I mean, she is also straightforward and transparent. She gets shit done, but she's really well respected. And I so greatly admired that, That because sometimes as a producer, you're put in an awkward situation where either, you know, someone's not delivering what they need to from the photography team or, or even from your own team and you have to address it. And, you know, you wanna be stern, but you still wanna be Respectful, and I thought that Erin handled herself really well in sometimes difficult situations. So, and what do you think Erin and um, Dina both saw in you that made them feel like it was worth investing their time and their energy to mentor you? Well, I wouldn't leave them alone, so <laughs> they didn't really have a choice. Um, I just kind of like I I really respected them, and they knew that I think so. Um, and I forced myself on them. But also, I think that they realized how ambitious I was. If I don't know, I mean, you'd have to ask them, but uh, I, w- I was very ambitious. Like, I wanted to learn, I wanted to know everything. I would ask all kinds of questions, and they never made me feel stupid, you know, whereas some people would be like, How do you not know what this is? Well, because I'm 22 and I just graduated college, that's how. So um, they. They were great about that. And uh, I think that they saw that I just really wanted to do a good job and make, you know, make our department look good or and work hard and learn as much as I possibly could. I wasn't taking this opportunity for granted. And so where do you think that comes from? You think that's something that was a in you as a child or is that something that you developed on your own? Were your parents that way? Um, my father's super resilient. I mean, he's a cancer survivor and uh, he always worked really hard, and I, I guess I get that from him. They've always told me growing up that I'm like a pit bull, that once I want something, I won't stop until I get it. So I, I guess it's just my grandmother was very much like that too. Um, you couldn't tell her no. If she wanted something, she was going to get it, come hell or high water. So I think that it's just something that's ingrained in me. But also, um, 
I really, I just respected the agency that I was working for with in the regard that I knew who would come before me and the, the work that had come out of this place. And I felt so lucky that I got to play even a, a small role in it. And the first time I saw an ad that was probably all stock that I had bought, but that was retouched that I bought and I retouched, I, you know, led the retouching on that. I was so excited and I was, you know, sending it to my parents and, you know, when you see that now that I'm older and I've been doing this and I don't want to say I'm jaded, but it's not, you know, I've done it now, so I'm used to it. But when I see someone that is younger, like I, I teach at Drexel as well. So some of my students, now that they're getting out there and they, they're working on jobs, they'll send me screenshots of the stuff that they've, they assisted on that's in a magazine and they're so excited. And that makes me so happy because I, I see myself in them in a sense. Nice. So nowadays when you see jobs that you shot on billboards or in print or anywhere, do you still get that same feeling or? I do. I think it, I'm always proud of the work that we're doing um, and also the story that came behind it. Like, you know, if there was any issues on set that we had to, you know, challenges that we had to figure out on set, that always makes it like, it's like a, it's like a patch, you know, like a war patch, like, oh, this happened and we figured it out and we made it work. I love that. Um, but nothing was like the, like the first jobs, the first few jobs that I did. That was so exciting. I mean, I'm sure you can relate to that when you've, you know, you saw some of your first work up in Times Square. Yeah, it's always, for me, I don't know, anytime I see anything in print, I always feel just like, oh my gosh, it's so amazing. So cool. And I guess the more it happens, the feeling is still like very much a feeling of gratitude and thankfulness. But that first job, because of you that I had, um, some stuff in Times Square. I was like, "Oh my gosh, it's crazy! I gotta, yeah. get, I gotta get pictures of it." I'm living in California, so I get it. I There's nothing get like it. the first, the first like few jobs. Yeah. Um, so let's go back to you, you get the job at BBDO. You start working in full time as a production coordinator, mm -hmm. and so take me through like you were there for five years. Take me through the progression from production coordinator. What came next? Um. So I was a coordinator for about a year and a half, and then I was promoted to um, associate art producer. And I did that for probably another year and a half or two years, and then I was promoted to art producer. And I got promoted to art producer shortly after I produced my first job on my own, and that was, that was nerve wracking. Yeah. Um, it was a job out in Chicago with Stephen Hamilton, and it was, um, I want to say it was for Splenda and it was just a simple um, you know product shoot I don't think we even had any clients there but it was mine and so no bosses there just no, you no it was just me you I flew out it was me my creative director and my account um, lead and you know when I came back my creative director sent a note to my boss and said she did great and I don't know if he knew I was young and I was nervous and wanted to you know pay it forward because he knew how, how serious I was taking it but um, that was my first job and the first job that I, I assisted produced a, produced a job on was when I was still um, I think I was an associate art producer and it was with Aaron and it was a job for Bank of America with Peter Yang and that job I look back on that and Peter's become a friend over the years we work together all the time and 
I look back on that job and have to laugh because I was so young, so naive, and I was so excited to be working with Peter Yang because he had shot all these cool people and I can remember sitting out, we were having lunch and he he doesn't remember it like this. He thinks, you're like, oh, you were just asking questions because he's so gracious. But I was probably the most annoying person ever. We were sitting having lunch and I was like, oh, so how did you how did you get into the industry? And how did you, what was it like when you shot this person? And how did you know you wanted to be a photographer? Just like basically interviewing him because I was so, I was just so excited and, um, enamored with his work it seems like a theme that i'm hearing that you've always been very inquisitive whether it was when you first started at your job you were always asking your mentors different questions about things you didn't know and now well i take i think the biggest thing about me is i take my relationships really seriously like almost a crazy person i guess (laughs) but it's true like i i value my relationships so much and if I get to work with somebody that I admire, like how awesome is that? I think that's so cool that you, you like I get to produce photo shoots for a living. I'm so lucky. And I get to produce them with people that I admire, that I respect their work and I also respect them as human beings. And so that's why, you know, I tend to go back to the same production company that I work with a lot, um, 31 Mile, because, you know, Nick is not only an amazing producer, he understands the, the quality of work, my what I expect from my productions, and he doesn't, he never under delivers. He always over delivers, but also, like he's a good person, and it's the same thing with Peter and a lot of the other photographers that I've worked with, and um, the people that I get to work with at Digitas Health. Like I, you know, I work with amazing people, and they're all interesting, and they all have interesting backgrounds, and so I just love to learn about them, and you know, how did they get their start or everything. I, I just love to to learn about people. And I think it's so important that to, you know, um, kind of pay it forward or, you know, help somebody out if you can, especially in the industry, and then it'll come back tenfold. Very true. Very true. So I want to go back to the, the first job that you produced on your own. And you said you were nervous. Like, what were the things that you were nervous about? And then how did you, what did you do leading up to that job to prepare for it to make sure it was going to be a success? Well, it, it kind of just happened because uh, I was working at the time I was sharing an office with Sarah Gold um, who was another amazing art producer that I adore and Sarah and I were sharing an office and Sarah had a she was I think she was away on set she was away on like for a Gillette job or something and she just was like here can you lead this so I started doing all the pre-production for it you know if we needed to send samples of the product and the estimates and getting the POs done and cash advances and arranging travel and all that stuff. So I was taking it all on. And at one point she was like, I think you should just do this. Had they already identified the creative team that was going to be working on the project? Yeah. The creative team's always pretty much identified. So I knew who the creative was. I knew what the comp was. I knew what we need. The shot list was, I think we, we bid a couple of photographers, but we were new. We knew we were leaning heavily towards Stephen Hamilton got the job awarded and everything. So I was copying her on everything so she could see it, but I really was leading it. And then she was like, you've got this, go do it. And I was like, uh. (laughs) And how long had you been working there at the time? Well, probably like three and a half years, something like that. Okay. Maybe a little bit less, cause yeah, probably a little less, maybe three years. And it was such a great, yeah, it was probably like two and a half years at that point, but it was such a great, first job because there's no talent there's no clients 
I traveled, so I felt like I was really like going on production. Um, you know, I didn't have my boss there. It was, but it was a good uh, way to step into it. And then after that, where did it just like start snowballing where you were producing jobs? Then once I did that, I think I was like, okay, I can do this. And it helped that I had people. Now, I, now Dina had left the agency, but she was still somebody that I could call for advice. I had gotten close with Sarah. Sarah became a very good friend of mine. So I could go to her for advice and we shared an office. So if she heard me on a conference call or heard me doing something and was like, uh, oh, I don't know, she called me hoops. I don't know hoops if I would if I would do it like that. She would, you know, weigh in and give me advice. And then Aaron was um, still somebody that I could go to. And also, you know, the, all the women that I worked with, I worked with Jasmine Batista and um, Betsy Jablo and, you know, Cindy Party. These are all women that were working there. And, you know, I could, I, it, it was, I had like the people that were really mentoring me, but I also had the, there was such a large group of us. I could say, hey, have you ever worked with this person before? Or, hey, have you ever experienced this before? So you were the greenest person on the team at the time? Yeah, absolutely. And then you had people you could go to whenever you needed questions answered? or Yeah, I didn't always feel the most comfortable asking some people because sometimes I felt like, which is silly because, you know, you just don't know until you do it. But I, sometimes I felt like they were stupid questions because I was young and, you know, not self-assured. So those were when I felt like that, I would go to Aaron usually or Sarah. So then, let me ask, is it typical for someone to go from production coordinator to associate producer to full blown producer in three years? Is that like a typical career path or I mean, is everyone's path different? I think everyone's path is different. I think it depends on where you work. Uh, you know, at BBDO, you have to fight really hard to get a promotion. Like, they don't hand them out. <laughs> um, so I fought really, really hard. I also, I hired an intern. So I was training an intern. So I got to learn how to, like, manage someone. Um, well, you were training an intern and you had just been there for how long? Two years. Two years. But you, but how great is, like, who should train an intern? The person that just was an intern. Do you know what I mean? Like, she, she wasn't my intern. She was the intern for the whole department. But I know the ropes. Like, I just did this. Now I'm the, you know, I, I think I started training her when I was the associate art producer. So I had been there probably a year and a half. And I had also interned for half a year. So I felt like, you know, I would be the best person to train her. I know exactly what she's got to do. I know the, sh- the struggles of being an intern and, you know, the, the good and the bad. I say it's true. Very true. You're very close to it. You just, I just got through it. Moved. Yeah. <laughs> the intern, was she, uh, where is she at now? Oh, she did. She actually went on to get hired at BBDO as the coordinator and she was there for a few years and she has since left and is now over at WebMD in project management. Nice. And you guys still maintain a relationship? She's yeah, she's one of my very good friends. Okay. Going back to your question, you asked if it's if that if it's typical to go from, you know, intern coordinator, associate art producer, producer. I don't I don't necessarily know. Um, you know, where I'm at now at Digitas Health, it's it was just me for the first two years, year and a half, and I, I hired a associate art producer and she's awesome. But I I think it just depends on the person too. You know, there's some people that 
will work their ass off and they want to learn and they want it they, they're ambitious like they want to be a producer so what do I have to do to be a producer I knew I wanted to be a producer so for me it was like I had my eye on the prize what do I have to do and even though I was really nervous a lot of times and lost sleep sometimes and made big and little mistakes along the way I I knew what I wanted to do so I was not going to stop until I got there so what talk to me about some of the mistakes you made oh my gosh um, everything from sending a rights managed stock photo instead of a royalty free and not catching that mistake to signing so I'm sorry can you explain that for people that don't know what a rights managed versus um, royalty free yeah so royalty free is unlimited use unlimited time so it's significantly cheaper um, and you would want to use that photo like I always tell my team like, you you know if it's for like a banner ad or if it's for an email blast don't spend money on a rights managed photo because royalty free is cheaper and then you can use it for as long as you want. But you have no way of tracking who's ever used it before and who's gonna use it after you buy it. So if, the, if you want an image that's gonna be the face of a campaign because the client doesn't have the funds to do a full on photo shoot or you just need one image for the face of this campaign, then you would probably wanna get ex exclusivity in that industry and that would be with a rights managed photo. So that's gonna be significantly more expensive. Um, and so I, mistakenly sent either I think I sent a rights managed photo instead of a royalty free and it was a big mistake um, which in hindsight it wasn't a big mistake but when you're young and you, you think the world is ending <laughs> uh, I signed a $14,000 overage that wasn't approved by the client that I thought was because I was trying to um, I, I was too green I wasn't too green but I was not confident in myself yet I was still learning and this and, is a separate thing than the rice manage. Yeah, this was a photo shoot that I did. It was a bigger shoot. It was I was exhausted. We were shooting overnight. Um, now I'd be fine, but back then it was it was largely all men. That not that that matters, but it was like a bit of a boys' club. Um, the TV producer was a guy. The creative director was a guy. Everybody was guys, um, and as a woman, sometimes especially when I was young, it was intimidating. And I had the TV producer telling me that there was a $14,000 overage and it was our fault. It was Prince. It was Prince's fault. And looking back, it wasn't our fault. Um, and I said something to the cost consultant that was on set and I thought that he was like good with it. I didn't, and looking back, I made so many mistakes. I didn't bring in the account manager. I didn't let the account manager know what was going on. I didn't call my boss to let her know what was going on. Um, I just tried to like be like, no, I got this. Like I can handle this, and that was stupid. So that that one I really lost sleep over. I was really, really nervous about. It all worked out, but I was stressing. And but it was such a <laughs> good learning lesson because, like, you you don't know everything, and you're you don't need to act like you know everything, and you don't need to, like, if you're unsure or it, call call in somebody like call one of your mentors or call your old boss or talk to the account person so many things that I could have done differently that would have it would have had a different outcome but also now you know been doing this for much longer and like I would push back I'd be like uh no F you I'm not signing that <laughs> F you does it ever get to that point when you're on a set no you're talking I, people F you or no I'm I try to be more respectful but I also I think I have like I don't think that I look like a pushover anymore you know what I mean? I think that 
if like you need to get something done and you see somebody's a little bit of a pushover, you can be like, oh, I need you to get this get this taken care of for me or whatever. Got it. Um, so you felt like when that time at that time they kind of took advantage. Like, I, I, no, I don't want to say that they took advantage. It was on. It's completely my fault. It was completely one hundred percent my fault. Nobody twisted my arm. I I didn't talk to the people that I needed to talk to. I didn't do what I need to do. To do. Um, and I think that really what it boils down to was a lack of confidence and a little bit of lack of knowledge. And now it's di- I feel I feel very confident now when I produce a job for the most part. There are obviously times where things happen and you know mistakes are made and you know uh, the the location that we're looking at is too small or the talent doesn't show up or what, whatever happens, things that you can't predict. But at this point, I'm just like, it's all going to work out. Let's figure it out. What do we need to do? Let's get it done. Nice. So how many jobs do you say you produce over your career so far? If you had to like give a rough. Oh estimate. my god, I don't know. I really have no idea. I I did count my first year at Digitas Health. I did twenty two productions in and one that, in one year. So is that typical? Or? No, <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> I don't know for one person. I don't know. That was a lot. So, but when you were at BBDO, how many jobs would a producer be I, doing a year? I couldn't even tell you, Eric, because it was like. There were so many of us, and sometimes we would, you know, lead one job for another person. Like, you know, if Sarah was out, I would start her job for her, or you know, if I was on vacation, Jasmine would cover my job for me, or whatever. So, I really don't know, but a lot. I mean, BBDO is, I think, one of like the best. Like, it's it's one of the oldest and best agencies around. Like, they've got great clients. They have great creatives. They do such great work. So they're busy. There's yeah. always there's always shit happening, you know. So, all right. So, all right. We talked about some of the challenges you faced. What are some of like the biggest accomplishments that you look back on in your career that you're like proud of? Like I did that. And what did you learn from those things? My biggest accomplishments. I don't really know. I mean, last year, I put together at Digitas Health like a. A gallery thing, a, a donation, and it was through the creative networking group that I started. Yeah, no, in Philadelphia. When I moved to Philadelphia, there wasn't a lot happening, so I tried to start something. We put together a, a gallery show, like donations, and it was a whole event. And we had alcohol donated and food donated, and we had it branded, and it was a. It ended up being a huge event. You came, um, yeah, and we raised ten thousand dollars for the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society, and it was a huge event. And we actually, it would have been even bigger, but our building is right in Center City, and there was a protest that was set to happen that afternoon right at oh, City wow. Hall, which is where <laughs> our building is. And our um, our building sent out an email around like two thirty that said there was going to be eleven thousand protesters outside our door. So at like I don't four, remember any protesters that there day. wasn't. There was like eleven hundred. <laughs> they they made a typo. So at like three thirty in the afternoon, I just see people jumping, like heading, slamming out the door, like in files heading out. Uh-huh. So it would have been even bigger, but but you guys raised ten thousand. We raised ten thousand dollars. So what inspired you to even put that together? I did a lot of work for the Leukemia Lymphoma Society because my father was diagnosed with cancer. Um, and also Alex on Plato, uh, one of the head, the head of, you know, publicists in North America, she was doing, um, fundraising for, she was going, running for woman of the year for Leukemia Lymphoma Society. So trying to help her out. How were you able to rally and curate different artists to participate? It really wasn't hard. I think that 
you know, you're reaching out to photographers and illustrators that that's what they do for a living. And it's like, hey, would you mind sending me a print? I didn't, I didn't tell them they had to frame it. The only thing I asked was that they would mat it if they could. And if they didn't, I was fine too. Um, and, you know, so many of them were so gracious. And it also goes back to the relationships that I have. So I would email agents or photographers direct and say, hey, would you mind donating? You donated a couple pieces. Yeah, it was, it was a great event. I was glad I could be a part of it. But I was more excited that you actually pulled this together and, and executed it. It was crazy because we pulled it together in four weeks, which was insane, maybe five. And it was, a hu- it was huge. And we got so many, we got over 300 prints in. And so was this a year that you also had 22 productions? No, it was a year after. The year after? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was going to ask because, I mean, knowing you, you are always busy and it seems like you have a million things on your plate. Like, how do you manage it all between your job, running Yano, teaching at Drexel, um, and then also consulting photographers? Um, well, it's it's gotten really hard uh, this year, especially... I know you said I can't talk about the wedding, but I'm getting married, and that is a full-time job. Um, So I can't wait to marry him, but I can't wait for it to be over because I feel like I can't focus on my career as much as I would. But I I don't like to be, if I'm slow, even at work, like we were, we had a kind of a slow summer. It drives me insane. I don't do well when I'm slow. I actually do less. So like if I've got so many things going and happening and I've got this job and then I've got this and I've got that, then I'm like, okay, this, I have to do this here and this here and this there and that's where I excel. I like. I need to be busy. I get so bored. What would you say, out of all the things that you do, is is one more important than the other? Are they all pretty equal? They're all equally important. I mean, I feel very lucky that at Digitas Health, I work with such great people. Um, you know, I really. I value a lot, like most of the people that I work with, I really enjoy them and they're just good people. And so they make me want to work harder. Um, But I would say teaching has been probably the most rewarding thing that I've ever done in my career. Just because you see these, these young kids, they're not kids, but you know, these young adults and they don't, some of them really don't even, they have no idea. They have no idea their level of talent and what's about to hit them and it's so awesome to see that to you know to see like their ambition and their excitement and how naive they are all rolled into one um and just to be able to like help somebody to help them get their career started like that is by far my favorite part of this industry is helping someone you know if there's a young photographer that's really talented and i can help them that's so cool um I I know for me, you've definitely been one of the biggest helps in my career. And I was a young photographer, not even that young. I was an old guy that did something else and decided to become a Switched photographer, and then wasn't that talented either. <laughs> but for some reason, you decided no, to help me. You were me. talented. You were just you were just starting out. <laughs> That's a nice way to put it. Yeah. Um, I just, you know, I can produce jobs all the time and that's always fun and exciting and different but it sounds cheesy and cliche but I feel like there's really nothing more rewarding than helping someone pursue their passion or, or just helping someone that's where I like I get high off that I love that 
So with that said, like, what do you see for your future? I don't know. I really don't know. I mean, I love producing, but I lo- and I love this industry. Um, but I'm trying. To, that's going to be 2017. Is like me to figure out what else do I want to do? Like, what's what's next for me? I love teaching. I'm you know I'm, I'm back at Drexel teaching three courses next year. But what what am I good at? What are my strengths? What are my weaknesses? And then I also like money. So how can I make money <laughs> and roll this all into one? And my fiance always tells me, you know, just do what you love and the money will come yes. after, which is so true. So I got to I got to figure it out. But you obviously love producing. Like you said, when you found this job, when this job really found you while you were babysitting, mm-hmm. you were like, you knew that's what you wanted. Yeah. But I don't like, do I want to do it forever? I don't know. I mean, it's, I don't want to ever get complacent. And, you know, I want to be presented with new challenges. I, I admire so much what photo agents go through because some photographers can be such a pain in the ass. Like, I know that when I'm on a creative call with a photographer, I know that sometimes an agent's going to call them afterwards and be like, hey, you could have done this maybe a little bit differently or this maybe this is something we can work on or, you know, I know that some photographers are going to push back and be like, oh, you, you're a pain in the ass too, or whatever, to their agent. I get it. So, you know, while agents will never tell me that, I know that that's happening. Um, and we put them through the ringer. We make agents do numerous revisions on estimates, and they do all this work, and then there's a 75% chance that they're not even going to get the job. You know, like they're, <laughs> they're one of four or one of three, and... They, they're doing all this and you know they're fighting to get their photographers work out there I mean there's good agents and bad agents and I I love working with the, the ones that I work with but I respect what they do so much and I just think that's something that I've toyed with in the past like an idea like what I would I like doing it and I don't know if I would but you know to help to be able to help photographers that I'm really passionate about their work and go out there and tell people like, hey, look at Eric's work. Look how awesome Eric is. He's great at this, this, and this. You love him for this job. He's perfect for it. Sign him up. You know, I think that would be so cool. But the grass is always greener. So we'll, it is we'll, always greener. We'll see. And then, so you said there are good agents and bad agents out there. What what makes someone a good agent? And what makes someone a bad agent? In your opinion, I think it just some people just get it right. Like they just know. Listen, I know that I'm putting. I know I'm going in for this job. I might not get it. They're not a pain in the ass. They're not calling me 25 times a day. They don't make me feel like shit if they don't get the job. Some agents do. They're respectful to people, you know, like the, to to their producers or their their photographers, um, and they're just like cool, nice people. I just like working with nice people. So how do agents even find you? Like, if they're do you go out and seek agents? No. Or how do they know that I need to contact Cali Capadice? I don't know. They have a Rolodex. I don't know what they do. They have a magic. They have a box. I don't know. I have no idea. I think they have a, they have a Rolodex, or they pay for a program, and or they go on LinkedIn and see where I work. Um, you know, and I, I've also been doing this for a while now, so, you know, they as you're in the industry, I feel like more and more people get to know you. My biggest thing is. I'm going to work with an agent or a photographer or anyone for that matter. I want to know that you're not going to screw me over because inevitably, if it's not this job, it's going to be another job. Something's going to happen, whether it's on your end or my end. You know, I've had I've had agents forget to put a day rate in for their photographer. 
I've had that happen where they I approved the estimate and the estimate changed five times and they forgot to update it to take it from three to four days. And I've approved this estimate. So what am I going to do now? Right. Oh, wow. So how do you handle that? Well, that's their mistake. However, I get it. So yeah. if I've got the money in the budget and they're working four days and they just forgot, then I'll then I'll help you out. I get it. And I just want you to understand it, too. Like I want the producer that I work with to, you know, be flexible and not try and nickel and dime me. And I want the photographer and the agent to be the same way. Like, it's not about money. It's about the relationship that you're building. Yeah. And that will carry you so much further. Like, I'm not going to screw you. But don't don't screw me either. You so know? you shouldn't be looking at it as like, this is one-time job and I'm just trying to get as much out of this one job as I can versus this is a, a relationship that we're going to build that could last years. Yeah. I mean, like, look at you and I. We've known each other for five years. Um I can't always hire you for jobs, you know, like I work in, in healthcare largely now. So, you know, but I, if there's ever a job that you're right for, I'm absolutely going to think of you because I know the character of the person that you are and I know your work. So why wouldn't I put you up for it and fight for you to get that job, you know? And I've also heard it both. I've heard it both ways. I've heard from photographers or agents that like, you know, they, that they'll be bidding a job and the agency or the client will try and lowball them and get them to come in really, really low. And it's like, you know, they know that they're they're like, oh, we'll get you on the next job. You know, the next this this job we don't have money, but the next one we will. And it's all BS. And that's probably true too. And that makes you that puts you in an awkward position where you have to decide if it's worth it. But um, for me personally, I just want to work with people that aren't going to make my job harder, and that aren't going to, you know be be swarmy like i need you to just be straight up for you know straightforward and understand that if something goes wrong you're gonna we're gonna have each other's back we're gonna be a team yeah how do you even find or identify what photographers right for what job um again i've been doing it long enough that like when i see creative i can immediately start going through a rolodex in my head um but i also like to get in new work so a lot of times agents will come into the office and do portfolio reviews i go to photo works and meet with new young photographers so for people who don't know what what's a portfolio review what's photo works portfolio review is when the photographer's agents will come in and cater a lunch or a breakfast or they'll bring you know wine and cheese and they'll bring their photographer's books um, and showcase the photographer's work and i'll get i'll invite all my creatives to come and take a look at look at it so it's really like showing my creatives new photographers that maybe they haven't seen or heard of um and it's also getting the agent to have face-to-face time with creative directors at the office um so is it only agents that can do this or do photographers ever do photographers will do it but it's it doesn't behoove me to invite all my creatives to come meet with one photographer um but again going back to like what i love to do I feel bad for photographers that don't have agents and there's some really talented artists out there. So I have in the past done unrepped photographer portfolio reviews where I will reach out to a bunch of photographers that I know who I admire that aren't repped by someone. And I'll say, Hey, I'm going to put this together. Um, I, I actually did it at Digitas Health and then I reached out to the art producers at BBDO and, and had them do it there too. And I did it at Digitas Health New York. Um, and I said, you know, you guys have to we, you have to cover the catering and the and the booze if you're bringing in alcohol. But I'll I'll help you. And if you want me to take a look at your work to help you edit it too, I'll help you with that. And I'll get you in the door. And so I've done that. And I think we had like twelve 
or 14 photographers in Philly. I think we had like 10 or 11 in New York. And I think there was like 10 or 11 at BBDO too. So it's just cool to help those guys out that don't necessarily, like they don't have an agent behind them to get them in the door. So if I can help, why not? Yeah. And, um, and then PhotoWorks is an event that I go to up in New York that um, happens in the spring and the fall. And it's basically speed dating for photographers. They, I, I don't know how it works for the photographers, but I assume that you get a list of all the people that are going to go and you select who you want to meet with. And then um, if it works from when that person is, is there in your schedule, they'll get you to meet with them. And you have 15 minutes to show your work. And then the bell rings and you move on to the next person. So it's literally speed dating. And it, I've done photo works once and it felt like speed dating. I was like, wow, this is intense. It's intense. <laughs> Very intense. Uh, and so, I, and for me being a photographer, I send out promos all the time. I'm assuming you being a producer, you're getting promos in the mail and emails all the time. Do you think that is the right approach? Is that like, is that like a thing in the past that really doesn't work? Like I've, I've been, I met with people and they open up a drawer and it's like That's a me. drawer full of mail. Yeah. That they've never opened or looked at. That's me. Um, I do hang them. Like, if they're a cool promo. Like, uh, Maddie and I, the associate art producer, we have a whole wall of promos that we hang up. Um, I always tell photographers, I think you should put your name on the front of the promo. Because if I hang it up, I'm not going to take it down to look at who shot, who shot it. So put your name on the front. Um, I, think you sh- I think you still have to do promos. Like, but I don't... I don't really use them to find photographers, really. I think maybe I did more so at BBDO because I had more of a wide variety of accounts that I worked on. You know, I worked on everything from still life to lifestyle to fashion a little bit, um, beauty. So, you know, if you don't, if you're not really well versed in beauty and you get a beautiful beauty promo, you might be like, oh, this is great. Let me bookmark this photographer's work. So I think that it was probably more applicable when I was there than at Digitas Health. But. So for photographers, they really need to know who their audience is, who they're sending promos to before yeah. they send them. They yeah. just shouldn't you send out a... Don't waste your money. Like You need to really narrow that down. And also, the personal relationship, Like if you meet with someone, if you go to PhotoWorks, or you, you get, you're lucky enough to get into an agency or a, a client and meet with the creative director or an art producer, and they're telling you that... They, um, they're planning a trip to Thailand in the fall or something, and you, you, you know that. Well, then reach back out to them afterwards and you know, ask them about their trip or if they're telling you about their kid got, just got accepted to UCLA, send them a UCLA t-shirt. I don't know. like Things like that that are a personal touch, I think, go further. Where do you see the industry going the next five to ten years? Have you even thought about it? No, I've definitely thought about it because it's, you know, I want to be changing with the industry, but the industry is much more saturated now with artists for sure. But I think what's different today than in the past is that you're, you can't just be a talented photographer. It's only going to get you so far because there's a lot of talented photographers. I think that you have to have, you need to be like the triple threat. You need to have a really strong treatment uh, photography treatment that you submit with your job. So for people that don't know what a treatment is, can you kind of basically that? like after we get out, you know, we will do a creative call to with the photographer to talk about the concept and the creative and 
walk them through the campaign and the brand and you know why we're shooting it the way we're shooting it and also get any ideas from the photographer but after that creative call we normally ask the photographer for a treatment which i know is a pain in the ass for photographers believe me i i get it but it really does help because it's basically you summarizing your excitement about this campaign, why you'd be good for the job, how you're going to approach it, any ideas that you have, any visual references that you have that are in line with your lighting idea, your style, your you know the expression that you want to pull out of the talent. So that treatment has won jobs for photographers. There's been somebody that's been in the lead, like, oh, we're definitely going with this guy or this girl. And then she submits her treatment and it's not it falls flat and then the other photographer submits their treatment and it they kill it they knock it out of the park um i had a photographer this year submit a treatment that i have never seen a treatment like that before it was mind-blowing and he got the job nice it's dustin cohen phenomenal treatment dustin's got it on lock um so you you need to be a talented photographer you need to have a really great treatment and then i think you need to be like not a dick like (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I, I know that's like very blunt but back in the day I feel like photographers and directors were kind of assholes like they they were artists and they were like you know they just kind of barked orders and this is how it needs to be and da 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 and whereas now like you need to check in with the agency you need to check in with the client like you need to get to know them you need to build that relationship i think it's a much more relationship based industry but then again what the hell do i know i wasn't around 20 years ago in this industry so <laughs> but you were around 10 years ago yeah so but i kinda... was i was so young yeah you know so i'm still learning for sure but you can't just rely on your talent there's so many more things that come into play i agree 100 percent. so being a triple threat it's the key going forward. Do you think advertising itself is going to continue to change? Like people aren't looking at TV as much. People aren't looking at um, magazines. People aren't looking at people aren't even looking at billboards when they're driving. Everyone's looking at their phone. Their phone. Yeah, I mean, technology's changing, and with it, changes that industry. So, I don't know. I mean, I know that we're doing a lot of digital work. We do so much digital work, and with social media. I mean, it's everywhere. So I don't know how it's going to continue to change, but it's definitely going to be in that world. Like things are going to adapt. And it's hard to pay a lot of money for an image that's going to go on your Instagram, right? Because it's gone in a day or on your Facebook. It's gone in a day. It's not not a billboard that's up for six months, you know? And But, but at the same time, how many more views do you get? It's how do you gauge that? Is there, you know, how this is something that I talk to my fiance about because he works in the tech industry. And it's like, how do you gauge how many how many eyes you get on an Instagram photo or a Facebook post? Like, how do you you know, unless you're getting likes, how do you gauge how large your audience is? I think I know now for like Instagram, they have tools where you can see how many people have viewed them. Your photos. Yeah, you can see how many the engagement complete engagement of it and is now. that an app that you have to have or is no it on? Instagram offers it now so that's interesting you can see how many people have looked at your photo and then obviously how many people liked it is there too but right. it shows you the full gamut um, and I think you have to switch it to a business account versus a 
like a personal account, but once you do that, it tells you the demographic of the people that looked at it, whether it's male, female. That's phenomenal. The age And you range. don't have to pay for that? You don't have to pay for it. It has to, you have to have a Facebook, I think, business fan page or thing. business page, and then you link it all together, and then voila, you get all the data. That, you get awesome. a good amount of data. So I need to know that so I can tell my students about that, because that's awesome. Yeah. But then how do you determine what you pay for that versus you can never gauge how many people looked at a billboard if it was up right. six for six months or for a year, right? But you at the time that agencies would pay, you know, because it was a billboard. Right, you pay more for out of home. So how now are you guys gauging social media and digital? I mean to be honest with you, most of the jobs I do are for unlimited media, excluding broadcast. Like almost every single job I do. Because there's so many different forms of media that I don't want to limit it and then have to go back and ask for more usage. So, you know, I, I go into the job and I just blanket it right off the bat. And then when you do unlimited media, once something's on social, is it forever? So is it perpetuity? Yeah, but that's but not... How does that work? Yeah, I, I mean... If I had a photographer say to me, like, or an agent, like, oh, you're doing unlimited media for two years, but that's going on their Facebook page or their Instagram, and that's going to be up there for past two years, I'd be like, get the hell out of here. <laughs> like, come on. Yeah. You really want to battle me on a fucking Instagram photo? I'm not <laughs> hearing it. No. If Has that ever happened? No, I mean, I've had agents, like, kind of give me a hard time about stuff, and then it's like, well, I just won't use you. I mean, unless it's warranted, of course, uh, absolutely. If it's warranted, I'll hear you. Like I'm on, I'm on your side. Yeah, that's the thing. And I don't know if other art producers aren't, but I have a hard time believing that. Like my job is to protect the agency and and my creative team, but it's also to be fair. Like I don't want to screw anybody over. Yeah. So if there's something that is is warranted that they come to me with, I'm gonna hear them out. And I'm gonna I'm gonna fight like hell for them if I have to. You know, I I think that I do a pretty good job at that. So when I feel like someone's giving me a hard time over something that's just trivial, then I'm like, I don't have time for you. Move on. Okay. I just have one last question. Where do you find your inspiration? I think everybody around me. I mean, I work with such talented people every single day. I don't, I don't wake up and go to a corporate office and sit at my desk and punch numbers and then go home. I get to work with artists and creative directors and other producers who I truly admire. I think what they do is so awesome, the work that they're putting out or the things that they're involved in. And um, Friends of mine, personal friends of mine that have, have passion projects that they've brought to life and have blown up because of the, the passion that they've put behind it. And... Um, you know, or just like watching someone who was starting out, like you personally, you know, watching you go from what you were only five years ago to what you are now, it's, I, that inspires me. You know, being around people like that, it's, it makes me want to do more, it makes me want to be better. Um, and also seeing my students that are so hungry and excited to, to get out into the world and they want to learn and they want to be a part of it and they have this drive and this ambition, that inspires me. So I think I just find inspiration from the people that I surround myself with. My fiance is so ambitious with his company and you know that's inspiring. And you know, these people that you know, could 
and there's nothing wrong there's nothing wrong with going and working you know your nine to five and coming home that's not that that's that's just not for me so being around these people that want to be a part of something bigger than themselves that want to give back to the community or do something that has meaning is i feel so lucky so as i think it's it speaks to what what people have always said like the people you surround yourself with are so important and that's what keeps you driven absolutely in my life the people i surrounded myself have helped me out tremendously and have always kept me motivated to keep pushing so i'm glad you're one of those people right back at you (laughs) so i just want to thank you for your time and this was episode one of creatives talk awesome thanks eric i really hope you enjoyed that episode if you did please share it with your community on facebook instagram twitter or snapchat and write a review on itunes My goal is to inspire and help as many people as possible. And by you sharing, we will be able to do this together. You can also shoot me an email if you have any suggestions. Thank you for your time.